house of God. How many believe we're on the cusp of something great in the church? Amen. Brother, you could probably just turn me down just a little bit, please, and thank you. Today, we're going to be doing a ordination service, so we're so glad that you are here. We're happy to have you. And before we get into that ordination service, we'll be discussing a little bit about being reliable. Somebody say reliable. Thank you. Would you open up your Bibles with me to book of Matthew? And could you find a middle spot from where you just went from? Thank you to where you went to, just somewhere in between. Look with me into Matthew chapter 10. Thank you, my brother. When we talk about being reliable, if I was to ask you, are you reliable? What would you tell me? Would you tell me you were reliable if I were to ask you? Most of us would say, if, like if we we're at an interview right now, yeah, I'm reliable. But if you're married, would your spouse say you're reliable? If you were in a job setting, would your boss say you were reliable? How many know it gets real then? Uh, you know, we can all say we're reliable, but it's another thing to be reliable. And so today what I want to talk about is reliable people. Everybody say reliable people. Thank you. Now, when we talk about being reliable people, that's not just in church, but I believe a great place we can start at is in the church. In other words, if we do our jobs right in the church as uh, pastors, we're going to teach you every skill you need to be successful on your job, in school, in the community. There should be nothing that you will lack if you are a good Christian when you go into the world. So I can testify to this. I was a high school dropout. I had turned my back on God, but when I got saved at 18 years old and came into the church, and then from that point on went to school, got A's. It didn't come easy, but I worked hard at it. When I went and got a job, worked OT, worked overtime. So what the church taught me was directly applicable to the real world. And so what's sad today is that sometimes people hear these messages in the church and they don't know how to apply it to their real life. So we should know how to be reliable in every sphere of life because we've learned it in church. But the moment we start having these conversations about reliability in the church, people who want to be spiritual, they'll say, well, I'm reliable to God. I don't need to be reliable to a church. Have you ever heard that before? Like, I love God. I'm, I'm committed to God. Me and God are close. We are like this. But church, man, that's what man does. That's religion. I want you to look at Matthew 10, 40. Jesus speaking here. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. How important are we now to representing Jesus? Think about that just for a moment. Jesus literally said, if you see somebody in my name preaching, teaching, doing the work of the Lord, and you do not welcome them, you do not give them a greeting, you are ashamed, you are embarrassed of them, you have done that against Jesus. Now, how about a bunch of people who get together for Jesus? If you don't welcome a church, if you do not welcome a group of Christians just like you and me into your life, then you are not welcoming Jesus. It's not that you have a problem with me. It's not that you have a problem with the pastor or somebody that you may not like, because I don't know about you, but I don't always like what you do. Do you always like what you do? I don't even like always what I do. Can you relate to that? So you're like, pastor, I don't know if I always agree with you. I don't always agree with myself. You ever argue with yourself? 
You ever, you know, just get something in your head and you're like, man, I don't know if I should have did that. You go back and forth. This is not based upon whether or not we always agree. This is not based upon whether or not we always have feelings towards each other. Do I have any spouses here that will be honest that they don't always feel love? (laughs) It gets quiet, but it's true. I don't always feel love. I don't always feel it, but I know I need to do it. I know I need to be reliable to her because that is what I am called to do and the feelings will follow and oftentimes they do, praise God. And so he said, what you do to these, it's like what you're doing to me. Now he says in verse 41, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a pastor's or a prophet's reward rather. And whoever welcomes a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And the reason why I I slipped there with pastors because it's not just a prophet. If we are to receive prophets, aren't we to receive pastors? And if we're receiving prophets and pastors, how about apostles and evangelists and teachers? It's not just God is saying, hey, just just listen to the prophet and ignore everybody else. He's just picking out in that time, which would be the mouthpiece for the people. And he's saying, when you hear a prophet speaking, understand that you not only need to welcome them, but you need to receive them. You need to receive the word they're saying. And if you meet a righteous person, you need to treat them the same way. Well, once again, if I asked you if you're reliable, most people would go, yeah, I'm reliable. I won't quit on you, Joe. I won't quit on uh, my friendship with you. But if I say as a pastor, are you reliable to this church? Are you reliable to where God has planted you? Now that's going to be a different subject, isn't it? Because in the church, we test reliability. And I know all of us here really want a good church because you're here this morning. Most of you are here because you want to be here. You're smiling. You're looking nice. So I'm not here to argue with you about whether or not you want to be in a church and to be reliable to that church. I guess really the question is, are you going to stay reliable to that church when things don't go your way? Because everybody loves me as long as I'm saying yes. Once I say no, then they show me their true colors. Pastor, can we do this thing, this thing? Yes, I'm your best friend. Pastor, I feel like this is what God is telling me. Do you believe that? Yes. Pastor, we're going to go do this and this over here. Do you agree with that? Yes. Everybody's my best friend. The next time they come to me, Pastor, I believe this and this. Do you believe that? No. Now I see true colors. You can put that on Facebook because it's not just true, true to pastors. It's true to everybody. Everybody loves you as long as you say yes. You'll see who your true friends are once you say no. And this is the problem we find in churches is that once we disagree or once we see things differently, now we feel it's time to go. Why do we do that in churches, but we don't do that anywhere else? Why do we do that here, but we wouldn't do that for our family? Now, some of you do that to your family and you were by yourself for the July. How did that feel? Uh, But for the rest of us normal people in life, we don't normally quit at a disagreement. How many of you disagree on your job, but you're still going there tomorrow? How many of you have disagreed with your wife, but you're still driving home with her? How many of you disagree with your kids, but they still get to keep your last name? Right? So we, we, we understand this is how it works in real life, but so often in the church world, we say, well, once we disagree, once we have an argument, we're rolling out. Let me give you an example. Had a wonderful couple in the church. They were with us for years, became deacons, just like how you're going to see somebody become a deacon in our church today. And, and by the way, thank you for those of you who are praying for me for the next season of preaching. I'm still open to hearing from God. I actually forgot last week when I asked you to pray for me that today would be an ordination service. 
So we'll see what the Lord has to do uh, after this week. But you'll see I'll tie in some goodies going on even uh, in our world today. But track with me. Wonderful couple in the church for years. And then they were asked to lead a life group. Then when they were asked to lead the life group, they said, can the church provide some money for the life group? Now, we had already been through this question long before they had ever been there, and the question was settled with no monies for the life groups. If people want to designate money for their life group, they can do so through the offering, if you want the tax deduction, and then that can be given to you. But here's what we really wanted life groups to be, a place for people to freely give and serve one another, something that would not have to be propped up by the church, because as you know in our church, every ministry is for free, the youth ministry, the children's ministry, and so forth. And so we just wanted that model to be continued. And so if you were a part of a life group and you wanted to have meals there, that your group would come together with meals. If you just wanted to have water there, you would have water there. So that would be between you and the group. Life group leaders, now watch this. We are asking them to be life group leaders. They have been tested. And you'll see in our church, that takes about two to three years. So this is a two to three year process. We have been with these folks. We trust them so much. We say, would you lead a life group? They didn't even come to us. We had more than enough people that needed a life group and we felt they were ready. So we're honoring them. Would you lead this life group? They asked that question. We say no, they leave the church. Finally got them on the phone. Couldn't talk to them for a few days. Finally, I hardly ever get in these meetings, but I said, would you talk if I come? Because I'm texting to the husband. Yes. So I get on the phone and I say, would you please tell me what is going on? And this is what it was. Pastor, we've been in the church for years and we give and we serve and we've gone along with everything and we've done everything. And we just had one, one, one. Everybody say one, one request. And you said no, and you crushed it, and you stomped on it, and you broke our heart, and we're going somewhere else. And some of you are like, I would leave too. And that's probably why you don't have good relationships in your life. You're on your third marriage. Listen to me. That's not how we settle problems. I said to her sister, whoever told you that the first idea you come up with, we go with? I said, we've already discussed this. I said, we can ask all the elders and deacons again. We can vote every time somebody wants us to vote on something, and that's fine. I said, but why not just trust us? And I said, why is this your first idea? You've been with us for three years. You're batting pretty bad right now. Only took one swing in three years? And then why did you put so much of your identity behind this idea? We love you, but we disagree with you. People disagree with me all the time. Wait to see how much you disagree with me or agree with me when I tear up this carpet next week and we start picking out designs. (laughs) I'm thinking all concrete, baby. I want to take down the stairs. I want this concrete, but we'll talk about that later. I want a little gloss over. We'll see how many agree with me then, right? I don't get my way half the time or whatever. But I said to her, why does this mean so much? But she said, I just felt that if this was my church, they would listen to me. And you see, we get this understanding that comes from the devil. Now, I know it's harsh, and I know it's not what we want to hear, and I do believe Christians can actually tune, tune in to Devil FM. You can still be a Christian and listen to his radio station because your spirit is like a radio receiver. I, I said to her, I said, Sister, when we're in relationships, we trust authority. We trust what God is doing. We've honored you with the life group, and if it's a financial issue, 
why don't you just let us know that and we'll make sure the people who come join your Bible study will know it's water or whatever they bring. Would you let us do it? Three o'clock in the mornings when the decision finally ended and they were gone. You see, is that how we treat relationships, really? Is that, is that maturity? Do, when I say that to you, is that what you think of? No, the Bible says when you welcome a, welcome a righteous person, you get a righteous person's reward. That woman and that family, that man, should have said, hey, all you righteous people, come into my house. I want to get some rewards. I may not, y'all ain't clapping, but I'm preaching. You know, come on, I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give you, but I'm going to open up my home, and as you come here, I I'm going to be blessed because it says, even if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. Somebody say that was just the introduction. Go with me to chapter, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter one. Let's get into the notes now. You see, when we're reliable, that means we stick around when things don't go our way. When we're reliable, that means we're honest with what's really in our heart and the, and, and the quit in us goes instead of us quitting uh, when we want to go. You got to learn how to get rid of your quit. I had over 30 jobs before I became a Christian because I felt like this in every relationship I was in. If it wasn't for the Lord, I know I would be on my third marriage, fourth church, and something else going crazy in my life. But God will make us reliable. God will make us faithful. Because if we stick with him, he'll teach us his character. I remember being in Bible college, and I don't know if you can uh, maybe believe this, but I was a know-it-all in my first quarter of Bible college. I was already preaching, and people were looking up to me, and I thought I knew everything. And within a few months, I'm arguing with the Bible college president, and he said, well, if you don't like it, you can go. And I was like, these boots were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. And one of these days, these boots will walk all over you. And I'm leaving. I'm leaving, and I'm letting all y'all know you're wrong. I've only been saved eight months, but I know I'm right, you know. So I'm leaving, and I'm heading out, and, and every day was a good day with Jesus. I still have it on my, my answer machine. So when you would talk to me or ask me a question like, hey, Joe, what's going on? I'm like, every day is a good day with Jesus. I was at the gas station. Somebody, you know, in the South, they always talk to you out here. You might think they're starting a fight or something. They talk to you. But uh, in the South, it's actually because they care about you or like you in some way or it's polite. It's like, how are you doing? I'm like, every day is a good day with Jesus. But this time, I couldn't do that. I felt bad. I felt so convicted. I felt like I had just left where God wanted me to be, and I used those people as my excuse. And the Lord convicted me, and he said, the reason why you can't say that confession, which I had even said the day my sister died uh, through drinking and driving, one of the hardest days of my life, I could still say that day was a good day with Jesus because I knew he was going to get me through, but I couldn't on that day because I knew I was in a broken relationship with people I was supposed to be in. Long story short, I turned around from that gas station, went back to the Bible college, and I said, would you forgive me? I need to be restored here. And I ended up becoming uh, the first one to get on staff, the first one to become a pastor. There was a new Bible college. There was all these first, first one to become a professor eventually as I got my master's, first one to start a extension site of their Bible college. All of these things that God wanted to do, I was about ready to throw away because I couldn't see the value of relationship. As I understood that they cared for me and loved me, I could receive even the things I disagreed with because the things I disagreed with weren't against my soul. 
They were just the kind of things in life that you always deal with. And now that I've gotten married and I I have kids, I use those examples. Like I say to you, I don't always agree with my wife who I love more than anything else in the world. And I get that because that's how it is in church. That's how it is in any relationship. You can truly love somebody, want the best for them. And at the end of the day, just not see things the way they see it. And if you can have self-control, you can still be reliable and be in that relationship and become a benefit you can become a tremendous person, an, a, an asset to that, to that ministry, to that job, to that family, if you're willing to be reliable. Somebody say reliable. Thank you. Let's look at Paul here. Chapter, two, uh, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, starting verse 15. He says, you know that everyone in the provenance of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. Look at this. Paul starts off this letter basically to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he goes, everyone's forsaken me. And then he highlights two people. So we know there's an everyone, but then we know there's two specifically. How many know everybody can leave you, but if somebody is in that everybody, it's going to hurt more? Can I say that again? How many know everybody can leave you, but if there's certain somebodies in that group, it's going to hurt more? So this is just like human experience. Paul is telling Timothy, they've all left me. And our friends, Phygelius and our other brother, Hermona Genus, they, they actually left me too, Timothy. The guys we used to hang out with, Timothy, the ones that we shared meals together. I know you're probably wondering when I said everyone, if it included them, because you would never think they would do this. But Timothy, I have to tell you, even those our two closest friends, they left me during this time. See, Paul the apostle is able to show us what human experience looks like, even in the ministry, that we can be left by people. That's right. And even certain people we think would never leave us can leave us. And I love this about Paul. He names their names. He, He like names their names. How would you like to be these guys? You're almost wishing that the scripture's not reliable anymore, that there's been some changes over time. Maybe there were some manuscripts you found and tried to get your name out of, but praise God, the scripture is still reliable after all of these years and all of these manuscripts over time. These boys are still there, and sadly, they're not there for a good reason. They're known for being unreliable. Let's go to the next uh, verse, verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesimus. Onis, Onisphorus, excuse me, there's an Onesimus who's a freed slave in the book of Philemon. This is Onisphorus, all right, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Oh, watch this. While everyone is forsaking Paul, while there's individuals that are hurting him the most, he names this beautiful person. We'll just call him one. Can we call him one? Because first, he's the one who didn't leave. We can use it like that. Now, look what he says about one. He refreshed me, and he wasn't ashamed of me. How many want friends like that in your life? The Bible says there's a kind of friend that even sticks closer than a brother. You need that kind of friend in your life. The Bible says that many will proclaim their faithfulness. Can I hear an amen from the ladies? But few can find a faithful man, right? Many men will say I'm faithful, but very few will actually 
be faithful. Here Paul says, he was there for me and he did these two things. He refreshed me. He took care of my needs. In other words, what I was going through, he took care of that and didn't make it about him. He didn't stop and say, now what about me? You're being persecuted. Well, I'm being persecuted, Paul. Paul, you're arrested, but they're still looking for me. And Paul, when I come to bring you water or clothes or the things you need, they're following me. And so, Paul, I'm so scared. I don't want to help you anymore. I'm ashamed of your chains. No, he didn't do that. He didn't make it about him. He made it about the one who was suffering more than him. And he looked to him as an example and said, you know what, Paul? You're here because you love Jesus. And I know I would be here for those same reasons. You know, I've seen so many people be unreliable in the church and every one of their reasons seems justified at the time. For example, when I first started my church uh, in New Orleans, I was 22 years old. And I know that's crazy to think about, but I was a 22-year-old pastor. Yep, I'm 43 now, 21 years of ministry. No sabbaticals, no giving up, no being written up, all integrity, living for God on fire from glory to glory to glory. Amen. And if you ever want to know how I'm doing spiritually, just look at my tan. I'm doing pretty good right now because I pray or walk, I pray or boat, and I pray or a whole lot of things with Jesus. God's been good to me. Now, if you look at my gray hair, that, that does show I've been in a whole bunch of church meetings. So also pray for me right there. I got more gray hair than my dad because he hasn't had to be in those meetings. Um, so I started a church, and I've seen people be unreliable for every kind of reason you can imagine. I would drive the bus, bring them to the church, preach to them, clean up, drive back. And so here I am driving the bus, coming to church. And you know what? They would tell me they were going to come to church. It was at this such and such a time. But then they would come down and say, guess what? I got to do the laundry. So how would you like to hear that as the pastor driving the bus that morning before you preach? Someone thinks so little about God that laundry now is before church. Other excuses that I would hear is that I was out all weekend. I'm tired. Other things that I would hear is I was sick and now I just want a buffer. Not sick anymore. I mean, granted, stay home when you're sick. But oh, I just need a buffer just to make sure I'm good for Monday. I would hear these excuses all the time. Unreliable. But then again, what they would say to me is, but I'm not unreliable to God. I'm just, I'm just doing what I have to do. See, I'm still down for God, pastor. I mean, let's, let's not forget that. I'm still a Christian. But remember, Jesus said what you were doing to the bus driving pastor is what you were actually doing, what, to him. And I know some of you right now, because you're actually here, you're like, pastor, I'm better than them. I'm, I'm not putting laundry before Sunday. I know about that. I've come to church. I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's go. But listen, I've seen pastors be unreliable. If I named a church here in the city, uh, it's been our neighbor uh, here in the city. If I named that church, you would say, yeah, I named that church. My pastor friend, he showed up one day and he said, I'm done handed in his resignation, gave over the bank accounts and walked out and they never saw him again. Just walked out that day. My wife can be a witness whenever she's done trying to take care of my kids that she's probably spiritually disciplining in the back. My wife will witness to you that because sometimes people say, well, that's just a, you know, those non-denominational churches. And granted it was, it was a church that my friend started as a young man and grew. And then when it got bigger, it got a whole bunch of mess and he didn't want to deal with it. And he said, 
I'm out. Uh, but some of you might say, well, denominational churches don't have that happen. No, nope, my wife was going to a denominational church about 100 years old, great people, and the pastor and the deacons could not uh, agree on anything, and it came to a head over how are we going to shovel or get rid of the snow in the winter? The pastor got fed up with it. He bought the shovels himself. He went out to do it, uh, and, and he said, this is what I decided to do to get rid of the snow. They said, you didn't ask for permission to buy the shovels. We want to bring that up. So they were holding him so tight to the budget. That was a Saturday. Sunday, he showed up unannounced to everybody else. Today's my last day. Now, can you blame him for being in such a church that squeezed every penny to the point where they wouldn't let a pastor buy a shovel without their permission? That's a whole nother story. But on his way out, this is what he said. All the weddings that I've planned for you, don't come to me. I'm done. I'm changing my number. All the counseling, it is over. This is the last time you're seeing me here. That was a pastor. You see, it's really easy to be unreliable when you want to be. If you're looking for an excuse to quit, you'll always find one. That's a good thing to put up today. If you're looking for an excuse to be unreliable, you'll always find one. Sadly, I've had to be in those meetings where the, the big D is being mentioned, divorce. And as I'm talking to the couples, oh man, if you were Judge Judy or me listening to this, you'd be ready to bring down the gavel because the first one who tells their story, you just feel so bad for them. She didn't love me pastor. She hasn't been taking care of me, pastor. Pastor, she just talks about me bad in front of all of her friends. I mean, you, you would be like, hey, woman, shape up. You know, you would think it was all her fault. But then all of a sudden, the woman comes up, but he's never home. He's never around. He's never listening when I do talk to him. He never does what I ask him to do. So what do we find out all of a sudden? A communication breakdown. They've been unreliable to each other. And then generally, you ask one of them, who's the new person? Because in the middle of that, someone found someone else to be, that person found someone else to be reliable. And instead of working on their marriage, now they're just hitting reset and going somewhere else. So often by the time I'm brought into it, I'm hearing all the excuses for the, the divorce. But why, where were we when you first started having these issues? Why weren't we counseling you then? Why weren't we dealing on these situations that you bring up from two years ago? Why wasn't it done then? And the reason is, is because it wasn't important. They wanted a way out. And when they finally found somebody else to take that person's place, now they had all the list of reasons I'm checking out. And that's exactly how people are in the church. Well, I didn't just leave the church because of this and this and that. I didn't just do this because of this, this, and that. It's because of this thing back here and this thing over here and this thing. And then you ask them, why didn't you deal with this? Why didn't you deal with this? No, it's because I'm offended now and I don't want to deal with any of that. See, I don't take it as a coincidence that in the middle of our season right here, there's a transition of our church and new deacons are raising up. We ordained three new couples and we're ordaining our fourth couple today while some are leaving and you are joining. Many of you are new. Why? Because God is shifting the church. And what we all have to do is be committed. And if it's not this church, go be committed to another church. Remember, I'm not your husband, but somebody needs to be committed to me as a husband. Am I, am I preaching here? I may not be your pastor, but I am somebody's pastor. And so you need to Pray over those things and be reliable. Paul uses these as examples. And so be careful how you leave because you might be in my next sermon. Oh, it gets quiet. All right. Uh oh, I'm out of here now before he gets to know me. I'm kidding. Half kid. 
On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me. He found me, talking about our friend one here. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So what's Paul's pattern here? He's finding reliable people and he's counting on them and he's exposing the unreliable people in his life. It's a part of life, guys. You will be known for either your reliability or your unreliability. If I say to you right now, think of three people on your job who are reliable. Who comes to mind? Right? You got them. If I say to you right now, who's three people that are unreliable? Who comes to mind? You know. It's like, oh, I'm not asking so-and-so. I'm asking them. If I, if I said to you right now, who's reliable in your family? Names are coming to mind. Who's unreliable in your family? Names are coming to mind. That's how we'll be known. Let's go to chapter two now. No chapters and verses, so we're just flowing with the letter. He says, you then, my son, Paul talking to Timothy as a father to a son, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to what kind of people? Come on, say it loud reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see the importance here? You see, before I can teach you something, you have to come and show up to class, right? Before your marriage can get better or to stay awesome, they have to keep showing up or to show up. Before you can have babies, you got to show up in the bedroom. Can I hear an amen? Before you get a degree, you got to show up in the classroom. Before you get a long-lasting friendship, you got to show up on the bad days. You have to show up. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, you've seen me do this. Now I want you to do this. Find reliable people who can be qualified to teach others. Find them. How? How? By watching them show up. So everybody says, this is my church. I'm going to do this. You know, COVID came and then the other thing came, BLM. And everybody's like, this is my church. This is my church. But how many are faithful? How many just wanted the show on the internet, but how many now want to come and show up and put in the work? Because that's what we have to do now. We can't just live in the chaos of all of us agreeing about what's, what's going on in the world. That to me is not structure. We all just can't come here and just shout, hooray, we're all on the same page. No, we have to develop the body of Christ through the chaos, move forward, and the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. So we have to get to work. We have to become reliable to each other and become dependable to each other where our yes is yes and our no is no. And remember, whatever we're doing here, we're reflecting out there and we're changing the reputation of Christians in the world. So now watch what he says to Timothy. The exact opposite of what the others who left wanted to hear. But this is what Timothy, I believe, is ready to hear. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Timothy, instead of you heading for the hills and running away from this, come on in. <laughs> come on in, Timothy. Get in the suffering. Not, not like you're going to be a martyr and try to look for it in a, a selfish way, but no, Timothy, get ready for it. Join me. Somebody say, join Paul in suffering. Amen. And look at the example, he says, like a good soldier. And there's going to be three examples he gives, starting with the soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets involved or entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He says, Timothy, you're not going to be able to take a day off from Christianity. This has marked you, and now you need to stand by it. Don't be ashamed of my chains. Get ready to suffer. In the military, 
They train you to endure the suffering. They train you to endure it. And he's saying to Timothy, this is what life is going to be like. It's not always going to be like that. It's not always going to be suffering. Sometimes there's victorious times as a soldier, planting the flag, you know, shouting the victory shout. But most of the time when we get the right mindset, we're in a world that is opposed to us. There will be suffering. When we get that right mindset, we can endure it. They say when they had the POWs in Vietnam and and in various places that the ones who had unrealistic optimism didn't make it. The ones that always said, next year we're out, next year we're out. And they just spoke like haphazardly, almost like a mind over matter thing. I do believe in faith, but hear this. They say that the ones who just flippantly said these things would happen didn't make it because most of the time it didn't happen. We'll be out by Christmas. Christmas came, they were still there. We'll be out next year. You know what, Bobby, you won't die. You'll make it, you will make it. And then Bobby dies. And so what happened was those guys got so discouraged. But the ones who said, I will stay and make it as long as I am here. I will not quit. I will not give up as long as I am here. Those are the ones that when the delays came, when the discouragement came, they were able to stick with it because they didn't put some deadline on their hope. They didn't say, well, I'm going to only have hope up into this mark right here. They said, my hope is beyond the scope of human limitation. I'm trusting in God. I'm looking beyond what I just see in front of me. So be soldiers. The next thing that he says is similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. I had some people tell me, Pastor, we're still with Metro Praise, but we're going to be three churches down, about 100 miles away, keeping you in our hearts. No, my friend, you just changed the rules. That's like saying, I'm going to run the marathon, but what I'm going to do is cut across the grass and go over this way. No, we don't change the rules. Part of Christianity and the competition, as the example here, is enduring the distance enduring the persecution, enduring the rebukes from our leaders that are correcting attitudes within us, enduring the iron sharpening iron as we're challenging each other, enduring the financial hardship if they're taking our property or they're persecuting us on our jobs. It's, we're not looking, in other words, for the easy way out. We're go, if we're going to win, we're going to win the right way. How many are going to do that in Jesus' name? And so we said, hey, you know that. You don't get to cut the corner here in the race. You have to finish it. And how many of you have paid the price for certain accomplishments in life and you're happy you didn't cut corners? I mean, I hope somebody's raising their hand that's a doctor today and you didn't cut corners. I hope somebody's raising their hand that's flying a plane today or driving a truck today or cleaning something and you're doing it right so we can trust you that you're not cutting corners on the forklift. You're not cutting corners while you're plumbing. You're not cutting corners while you're laying concrete. Come on, somebody. We can't cut the corners while we're in this race for Jesus either. And then the last thing he says, which is a blessing, but it, it's also a reality of, uh, of a sadness in some people's lives is he says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the, the share of crops. And what does that mean? The hardworking farmer is plowing. He is putting in the work. He's doing all that. But what happens when he quits? He doesn't get the harvest. When I was talking about that life group leader, they had worked for years to be taught and to be trained. And and they had sowed that seed. And now it was their time to bring people like you, new folks, into their home and reap the harvest. And yet, where are they? 
The heat of the day got to them. If you've ever seen that illustration, they were digging and digging and digging, and they quit right before they hit the gold. They quit right before, and I've seen so many Christians do that. We were uh, establishing a Bible college, like the one I went to, the, the one I was talking to you about. And right at the beginning, Pastor Berto was there, and another student was there. And this one student, he, he got so discouraged, he quit. And on his way out, of course, you know, when people leave your life, they just can't leave your life silently. They have to take as many people as they can with, with them and, and, and talk about you. Or, or that's just me. Is that just me? No, some of you go through that. Okay. Anyways, I feel better talking about it. But as he was leaving the church and the Bible college, he couldn't just say, this is not for me. I'm gone. He tried to convince Berto not to do it. He tried to convince Jared not to do it. Now I look back on their lives. It's been over 10 years. This man is not even a ministry. And those ones who stuck with it not only completed it and became pastors, but now are teachers and leaders and professors themselves. Come on. You see, right at that moment... They were at their weakest. You know, you're a farmer and you're looking at that ground and that thing's coming up like this and you're hungry and you're like, I don't have time for this. I'm going to McDonald's. But you don't understand there's a ground full of seed that the Lord's been having you plant. Don't give up now on the brink of your miracle, on the brink of a harvest. That's what Paul is saying. He says the hardworking farmer should receive this. They should receive this. He said, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Everybody do the thinking position and go, hmm, come on, reflect on it, right? I need to be like a soldier. I need to be like an athlete, and I need to be like a hardworking farmer. That's how I'll succeed in Christianity. Let's read this last portion here. He says, remember Jesus Christ, and he gives us this wonderful summary of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those that God has chosen, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, never ends. And he says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we disown, he will disown us. And even if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And I just love this ending to Paul's message here as we're about ready to ordain some deacons, a couple here today, because I believe we found reliable people. And I will stick with that. I will be a slow-growing church that develops a mile-deep foundation than to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We're building here. We're seeing God move and, and, and supply the need here through the right kind of people that can handle the load. And at any time, if you want to join the work of the ministry, you can. Vinny, would you come, please? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today... You are calling us to be faithful so that you can make us fruitful, that we can be the kind of soldiers and athletes and farmers that make a difference in this world. Right now, if you're here and uh, you would like to ask Christ into your life, would you do so? To be the Lord of your life by the confession of your sins and the opening of your heart, you can start this journey with Jesus right now. I remember within about the first week or so of me getting saved, uh, I had to make decisions about my friends and family. 
And some of you need to do that right now. Make a decision. Serve Jesus. Put him first. Above jobs, above careers. Don't fear what people can do to you. If you're here today and you are already a Christian, as we're continuing to pray, would you ask the Lord to speak those examples to your heart so that you could be all that he called you to be? Let's be soldiers for Christ. Someone pray that out today. I want to be a soldier for Jesus. Lord, I want to be your soldier. Lord, I want to be your athlete. I want to finish the race. Lord, I want to be a hardworking farmer. How many of you as Christians, maybe this is a new experience for you coming to a church like this. You're just excited. You want to see God bless you and use you. Start praying out some of those dreams you've had before then. Start praying out these hopes and desires. Let's all put our dreams on the line here. What's too difficult for our God? Let's build Bible studies. Let's build churches. Let's put more community programs in the city. Let's do it by God's grace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, you are able to transform our lives. A few moments right now, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for me. I want to endure to the end. We pray, Lord, that even those who have left would come back, that you would bless them. But those who stay, God would take their place and take it quickly, and we would get to work, Lord. That no one bears too much of the load, just like with the tithe, we all do our part, Lord. No one burns out, we all burn up for you, Jesus. Has anybody here been left by friends or family? Would you talk to the Lord right now and say, I forgive them, Jesus, and I pray they get saved? I pray today, just like Paul, I know, prayed for those two that were special in his life. We pray for those who have hurt us, left us, and it might not be from this season, but from other seasons of our lives. Some of us may never be close to our uncles, our cousins, our brothers, our sisters, unless they become a Christian. There's too much of a divide, but we forgive them. We love them. We'll keep reaching out to them. Few moments, few moments, Lord. Make us reliable. And then now as you're just praying with me today, would you pray that the Lord would make you reliable in his church, that you would have a maturity, that you don't just say, I love Jesus. You know, I'm just reliable to Jesus. No, but you would show your love for Jesus by loving others. You would show your reliability to God by the reliability to a body of believers, a place where you can commit, even if you agree or disagree. Yes and no's, good and bad, to death do your part or the Lord calls you on. Come on, somebody. Let's pray that today. Lord, raise up a church of committed folks because, Lord, there's a work ahead of us today and we need to stay committed to each other and to receive what you're doing in our lives from each other. We need each other, Lord, and we need to have your glue keep us together, your Holy Spirit glue. Unify us. Do what only you can do despite our cultures, despite our ages, despite our experiences in life. Be the glue that binds us together, that when the enemy sees us, he is terrified because we are one like you are one with the Father. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Do you believe it?